Yeah, hello everybody. I'm very pleased to welcome Udo Bröring today. Um, he's, he's one of the persons at BTU that uh, we would call in German um, a Urgestein. <laughs> so he's here since about um, 25 uh, years, which is really, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a complete newcomer. I'm here uh, since only two years, and so I, I even can't imagine what it, what it does mean to be here for 25 um, years. That's congratulations. Um, I got 300 euro <laughs> and one extra day of holiday. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> So Udo Bröring is interested in questions about nature, conservation, the ecology of biocenosis in semi-natural biotopes. Uh, I'm citing from uh, his website here. And he specializes in heteroptera. Does anybody know what, what that is? No? So heteroptera are um, bugs. Um, very, very nice organisms, um, and um, so he, he's in the footsteps uh, of a very, very famous biologist, Evelyn George Hutchinson, who, who was very keen um, about um, heteroptera. Um, so if you, if you read um, the papers of Hutchinson, you have the impression that uh, it's, it's a very erotic animal, these um, heteroptera. I, I never read uh, something uh, uh, written by you about heteroptera. Perhaps I should. Less I should erotic. So. Less it's erotic. Less, it's, less, it's less erotic. Less. OK, so thanks. So um, but what is most, much more interesting um, that, that he's particularly interested in theoretical questions in ecology um, which was um, already the case from the beginning of his studies in uh, biology and philosophy. We, both, the both of us, we know each other since a very long, long, long time. <laughs> and um, that happened um, through a working group, and I, I have to admit, I even don't know any more exactly the title. I think it was I think just there was not theory. Title. It was just, yes, there was a title. I, I think it was just theory in ecology or yeah. so. And most of our colleagues thought that this is about modeling. And we had completely different ideas about what, what theory of ecology um, is about. And I think that's what we are going um, to hear um, this evening this very different idea of what theory of ecology, and in this case, um, even biology, um, means to be. Yeah, please, the floor is yours. Yeah, uh, the title is The Biological Revolution. I will focus on some preconditions and consequences of this biological revolution. This is uh, the program. Uh, for today. Mm. In October, mm -hmm. like every year, there will be Nobel Prizes given to famous people. As you all know, Nobel Prizes. 
So we've got a Nobel Prize for chemistry, we've got a Nobel Prize for physics. However, there is no Nobel Prize for biology. Yeah. Um, at least uh, Astrid and me, uh, we are not really satisfied with this situation, but it is as it is. So, of course, I think, uh, nature scientists and biologists know why. Why there is no Nobel Prize for biology. However, others might think about it and become curious about the fact that there is no Nobel Prize for biology. The answer is very simple, very easy. And it is just when Alfred Nobel founded these prizes, there was no biology. Biology was still not existent. We had zoology, we had botany, we had anthropology, we had physiology, and many more, but no biology. Why? Because the scientific community and the public did not realize these times what are the general properties of life. It was still, it was simply unknown. This knowledge was gained in the course of time after mid of the 19th century, uh, many decades later, as we will now see and draw and highlight um, some of these consequences. First, we may state here by Diodosius Dobshansky, one of the fathers of the biology as a scientific discipline. Yeah, nothing makes sense in biology except in the light of evolution. And these evolution approaches, the doctrine of evolution, uh, was done by mid of the 19th century, mainly by Darwin and Wallace, as I think um, you know. Okay, this is the content of the talk, a little introduction, what is the biological revolution about and what is biology actually? And then we focus on some preconditions, scientific worldview, some special academic intellectual sphere you have to imagine, um, and uh, this is syncretism. And then some important philosophers opened the way to do that, especially uh, I focus on uh, Hume and Kant, and then early ideas of what anthropology is. And then, of course, early biologists. Here you see I put it in science here because there actually was not, bio not a biology in a strict sense of the word. So very briefly, Charles Darwin and the doctrine uh, of evolution. I think this is generally well known. So I can do it rather quickly. And then we focus on some consequences of this um, biological revolution. For instance, here, the synthetic theory of evolution, which leads actually to the constitution of biology as a scientific uh, discipline by Dobshansky and Ernst Meyer mainly. And then here, some other consequences that I'm going to focus on. Summary and some statements. Yeah. On biological revolution, we can say that this biological revolution took place by around mid of the 19th century and it led to a, so to speak, scientific earthquake uh, and a strong polarization. 
in the, in the scientific community as well as in the public. Particularly to fundamental realignment as to the status of humans in the world, and hence the ideas of the evolutionary process by Darwin and Wallace are of special importance. So we can say all living beings are adapted to certain environmental conditions, certain conditions, and they evolve. And this was actually a new idea. By this, they change, of course, the environmental conditions as well. And consequently, they have to modify themselves. Otherwise, they cannot exist in an ever-changing world, in an ever-changing environmental situation. Yeah, humans, of course, are part of this process, integrated part of this process, and do not actually occupy an exceptional position in terms of, of these basic biological properties. Yeah, and of course, a relative new idea, which was also necessary to make this biological revolution, biological species are not invariable objects, but originates and also can go extinct. And today, this basic doctrine is not seriously doubted within the scientific community. So what is biology? A very young discipline in the 30s of the last century, by Meyer and Dobshansky and, of course, others. Yeah, the focus, of course, is the research, the interest of living beings. And as I said, in the 19th century, we had medicine, physiology, botany, zoology. They were separated. Separated disciplines because actually a unifying life science was not existent. And this is actually due to the fact that specific characteristics of uh, the animate, so to speak, are not realized. And in particular, anthropology, anthropology was strictly separated from all the other disciplines and uh, are taken as a subdiscipline of philosophy yeah, and throughout the uh, 18th century. Yeah, it was a rather reputable, rather, rather reputable in the canon of discipline at German universities. It was in the so-called upper faculties, the oberen Fakultäten, yeah, together with jurisprudence and theology. All the other disciplines, at least at German universities, including philosophy, mathematics, and all the others, formed the lower faculty, the unteren Fakultäten, which were restricted actually to give simple advice, simple advice to the upper faculties, especially to the theology. Yeah. This was the structure which now be, be, uh, eroded more and more. And therefore, due to this aspect, uh, it was actually possible that theology could dominate also philosophical reasoning and also, of course, general scientific research. As to empirical research, the Aristotelism and Platonism, which formed together the syncretism, were merged in these times to a ultimate truth, which were taken for granted and no longer discussed. Church said, that's the truth. No more discussion on that. However, during the time of the Enlightenment, there was a final erosion of this um, syncretism. Yeah, the constitution of biology as a scientific discipline 
was actually possible by the combination of the doctrine of the evolution and the doctrine of the inheritance. So uh, easy to speak, Mendel, combine Mendel with Darwin. And with, this was done, as I said, in the 30s of the last century. Okay, let's have uh, some preconditions for the biological revolution, which actually took place mid on the 19th century. So, you have to be aware about the general academic sphere by the end uh, of the 18th century. In this time, we had some epoch-making changes in a very, very small time window in Europe. Yeah. And this is marking the beginning of the modern age as a historical formation. In German, we say Beginn der Neuzeit, after the age of the Enlightenment, uh, Aufklärung. So, three epoch-making changes come together within this small time window. First, the publication of the Kritik der Reihenvernunft by Immanuel Kant for the field of philosophy and human mind in general. Then second, the French Revolution in 1789 for the field of the socio-political and socio-economic situation. And third, the Napoleonic realignment for the political map of Europe. Yeah. The borders were written down anew. And the most significant historical reason for this development is the process of uh, forthcoming process of secularization and emancipation of human reason, which means actually in this context, get out of religion. Yeah, after this time window, so to speak, Bach and Handel did not compose any more interesting music, but now we have Josef Haydn, Schubert, and Beethoven, the completely different type of composing uh, music, uh, music. And as you see, people in Europe did not wear any periwigs any longer. So then we have some patterns of thought by the end of the uh, uh, 18th century. Um, that lead to a new scientific worldview, which again actually made it possible to make this kind of biological revolution. First, it was stated, and it was a long process that this could have been stated, science is purely secular. Hume, Kant, Laplace, and many others. And the condemnation of the curiositas which has been included, introduced by Augustinus 1,500 years ago, was rejected. Augustinus said, curiositas is bad because it hinders you from praying. It holds true for at least yeah, 1,400 years. Curiositas was condemned. So, scientific knowledge is a knowledge in nature, of, of laws in nature, sorry. Process has to be described in mathematical terms uh, quantitatively, claimed by Kant. Then third, scientific knowledge is based on experience. Very important step here, is based on experience. Basic procedure of scientific nature research is observation and experiment. And fourth, also, scientific research leads to scientific and social process, progress. It was said everything is possible, just necessary to do enough research. 
Of course, this can lead into a hybrid. Yes? And people used to think everything is possible by science. This is, of course, hybrid as we uh, know when we have a look in the history. So, some special preconditions, it was general preconditions. So, the intellectual sphere that you have to be aware of. Uh, here, this is a famous citation by David Hume. Yeah. Experience, that's it. We cannot go beyond experience. And in a similar sense, by Kant, nur in der Erfahrung liegt die Wahrheit, only experience there is truth. Okay, so precondition for the elaboration of the doctrine of evolution was the development of a new worldview, as we have seen. Uh, actually, the realization of the importance of observation, experience, uh, and experiment, and this was actually in strong contrast with the platonic concept of the type, so that we had to get rid of this, which was actually not very easy. We have to get rid of the uh, uh, platonic concept of the type and certain parts of the Aristotelian philosophy as well. So, uh, as I already mentioned briefly, this platonic and the Aristotelian philosophy were fixed in the Middle Ages to ultimate truth, not discussed. And it was actually of fundamental importance that this principle of this philosophy eroded more and more. And this was associated with the secularization of science uh, and the suppression of the influence of the churches. Of course, this process lasted many, many years, beginning with the Renaissance and uh, yeah, René Descartes. I don't know where you want to um, fix it. Okay, in contrast between rationalism and empirism was repealed by Kant's critique of pure reason, actually, which was, as I also said, an earthquake in philosophy. So this is uh, actually now a little bit um, difficult. As I said, we had to get rid of the platonic uh, notion of type. So, according to this philosophy, the idea, the idea is something ideal, ideal, and this means actually that it is temporally and spatially invariant, cannot change, cannot grow, and thus unchangeable and unextended. The platonic idea is unchangeable and unextended. For us, according to Platon and um, <coughs> Parmenides, uh, according to Platon, the idea, so the type, is veritable exclusively, not the thing, the object that we realize. Yeah? The object that is realized in space and time. So, Platon located the realized object in the field of the doxa, as Parmenides said. And the abstraction is true, according to this philosophy, the abstraction is true, the type, not the realized object, with the, which is an object in space and time. And you clearly see, we must get rid of this. Otherwise, we cannot uh, get any uh, idea of evolution, any doctrine of evolution. Yeah, true ideas cannot be detected by our senses. 
not by experience at all, because it is ideal. The type is ideal. Yeah. So as I said, precondition for the biological revolution, of course, is the realization that species are not types in this sense. Yeah. So secondly, Aristoteles felt forced to explain the mm, obvious usefulness in the field of the animate, in biology, by including a so-called final cause, and yeah, philosophy causa finalis, yeah, which is actually sometimes misunderstood as a divine plan of salvation. So by this, in this Aristotelian philosophy, in the peripatos, an intended purpose is considered to be the cause of a process. And this is, of course, in contradiction with the principle of causality that we now have. So, of course, in empirical sciences, explanations are given using the principle of causality. So we had to get rid of this Aristotelian concept of causa finalis. Okay. This was done by David Hume, for instance, there are also other integrated, I, 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 make, it, I, I make it simple, yeah. by David Hume, yeah. he introduced the concept of experience and the introduction of the principle of causality, which has been very important and of course differs from this Aristotelian uh, causa finalis. And he introduced it as a subjective psychological tendency of human mind to arrange observed processes temporarily according to the obvious necessity. So that you see, you cannot put the things the other way around. And in this case, you have causality in the course of time. Kant will put it uh, differently, he claimed the objective necessity to realize causal relations. Yeah. So, this is this is now crushing down yeah, this causa finalis. And now, of, of, um, maybe we, knew we, uh, we need uh, another concept of tele te teleology, and this is done by Kant in the Critic of uh, Judgment, which provides actually a new concept of teleology. Uh, and Kant is tricky. He transferred from the intellect directed scientific area in which Aristoteles put it to the area of reasoning. Teleology is not a matter of the determined faculty of judgment, as he says, but a matter of the reflective faculty of judgment. I show you what is meant by this, because it was important. This is the world of Immanuel Kant, according to the critique of judgment. He says there are different faculties of mind, Vermögen des menschlichen Gemütes, and we have on the one hand the intellect with the determining concepts, and on the other hand, reason with regulating ideas. So, as you've seen, Aristoteles put his teleology, his causa finalis, here in this area, science, empirical science, while Kant transferred it to this area, reason with regulating ideas, formulating this uh, purpose. And he did it in a tricky way. 
according to Kant, science is done with the intellect. Science is done with the intellect, uh, which uses the determining power of judgment, as he calls it. So, the determining power of judgment is the faculty of human mind, in Kant's word, gemüt, uh, to subsume under the special under the general by application of determining concepts. Yeah? This is some kind of um, deduction. Uh, I see some Germans here, maybe not so familiar with this. Maybe I should explain. When I use the English word concept, this is not the German concept. Yeah? The English word concept refers to the German begriff. When you want to have a, a, the German concept, you may uh, translate it with the English uh, conception. Yeah? So concept here for the German uh, is a begriff. Yeah. So now, on the other hand, we have this reflective power of judgment, which is the faculty of human mind to set up general concepts by using regulative ideas. Yeah. And within this typology, the Aristotelian concept, this causa finalis, is in this area. And trans, uh, Kant transfers now the teleology into the area, into the reflective power of judgment. In this sense, teleology is, a, is nothing else than a regulative idea, which is needed, actually, in biology, as we will see. The judgment is focused on objective purposeness. And the teleological judgment of nature must be carried out when properties of an object, as in biology, cannot be explained by natural mechanisms. So in this sense, judgment versus explanation, the theological power of judgment applies the as if, the das als ob, not the because. This transformation was actually of great importance. This is in Kant's words, yeah. Der Begriff einer objektiven Zweckmäßigkeit der Natur ist ein kritisches Prinzip der Vernunft für die reflektierende Urteilskraft. The concept of an objective purposeness of nature is a critical principle of reason for the reflecting power of judgment. Okay, let's switch to anthropology. And uh, we stay with Kant. Yeah? We stay with Kant. Kant said anthropology uh, refers to the answer to the giving, giving answers of three different questions, according to the critic of pure reason. What can I know? What should I do? And what may I hope? In answering these three questions simultaneously, we have the answer to the question: What is human? What is man? Yeah. yeah. What is anthropology? Naya, scientific study of humans. Yeah. The term anthropologicum was introduced by Magnus Hund. Approaches were secularized step by step through the course of the centuries. And during the 80th century, anthropology was split into a scientific, anatomy, we would say in modern words, and a philosophical branch. Kant is the founder of the philosophical anthropology. First, he separated it from, uh, from physiological anthropology, and subsequently, he divided it into psychological and the pragmatical anthropology. 
Later, Blumenbach was the founder of this scientific uh, branch, um, so to speak. By the way, David Hume developed broad, a broad anthropology by himself, but it was a little bit difficult. Um, he was Scottish, wrote English, and uh, Kant could not understand English, so <laughs> he had to ask his friend Hamann to translate, and this uh, resulted in some, some difficulties. Yeah? Okay, so it's just that not only Kant is <laughs> the father of these uh, ideas. Yeah? Briefly, here you have anthropology by Hund and Karsmann, then scientific anthropology, Kant Blumenbach, and then the uh, philosophical branch. Okay, scientific research at the end of the 80th century and the beginning of the 90th century, of course, also important um, precondition. Uh, this is um, science in the view of Schopenhauer. Uh, and you see, there is no biology. Of course not. Uh, he puts it in this way, as I here have. But he was, when I'm right, the first one who at least tried to give an overall characteristic of the animate, the life. Because he said, he emphasized that contrary to everything else, in living beings, the matter is substituted by metabolism, but the form remains constant. Non-living objects change their form, but the matter himself remains. And so he said, this is the general difference between the animate and the non-animate. This was the first step, and uh, thank you, Arthur Schopenhauer, that at least you tried. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, these were the early biologists, forerunners. Yeah. Maupertius, Carl von Linné, Georges de Buffon, uh, Saint-Hilaire, Cuvier, Lamarck, of course, there are many others. Yeah. And uh, the early biologists found interesting things that Darwin and Wallace, of course, could include into their reflections and studies. Maupertius here, theory of inheritance. Linné, species richness, systematics and taxonomy. De Buffon, diversity of animal forms, description of fossils. Yeah, Monet Chevalier de Lamarck, inheritance of acquired properties. De Cuvier, Catastrophism, and Geoffroy Saint-Hilaire, Evolution in the Past by Macromutation. So important forerunners, this um, early um, biologist. Let's skip Goethe, just uh, announced that he introduced the term morphology into this present um, contest. Yeah, and the historicism, of course important in many fields of science, during the 19th century, uh, philosophy and history, were, it was recognized that explanation and understanding is, the only possible, is only possible by including aspects of historical reconstruction of the development. Biological objects could be realized as something that come into being, developed, but cannot be explained exhaustively as a static unit. We need some kind of dynamics. Yeah. So coming to 
Darwin Russell and the doctrine of uh, evolution. I think I can make it very quickly. Yeah. Let me make it very quickly. Yeah. Uh, as we said, basic assumptions, the spirit of time, and some scientific preconditions, from my point of view, had led necessarily to a theory of the driving forces of evolution. The formulation of the theory of evolution was, so to speak, in the air. Due to these preconditions that I mentioned, it was in the air, and Darwin and, uh, and Wallace just executed successfully. Yeah, briefly, Darwin's important contribution was a clear realization of the importance of natural selection, the importance of comparing, comparing empirical observations, the recognition that theolog theological explanation, so purposiveness, also in biology cannot be given at all. Explanation is only possible by relating cause and effect. Yeah, I know, I think you know these famous people here, Charles Darwin, yeah, and uh, Alfred Russell Wallace. Darwin was a very, very serious scientist. Maybe you know that with his beagle. He collected very, very, very many uh, interesting scientific um, findings. Uh, very serious, but also he was a good writer. Some literary, yeah? Very beautiful. Maybe I cite this, yeah? Look at this. There is grandeur in this view of life with the several powers having been originally breathed into a few forms or into one and that. With this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity from so simple a beginning and those forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. No, it's beautiful. He could write. Okay. Yeah, briefly, these two people are founders of the doctrine of evolution. Darwin with the origin of species and Wallace with his uh, famous teenage essay. Yeah. Famous keywords, natural selection, struggle for life. Species are units and are variable. Species as units are variable. They developed in long time periods. There is a natural relationship among all species. Yeah, living beings, species, are not the result of a cosmic teleological principle, this Aristotelian causa finalis, which was introduced by Aristoteles. The principle of the natural selection holds. Basic patterns, species, vary. The environment decides which variants can reproduce and survive. Within a long process, species evolve. Yeah. Okay. So now come to the consequences. Which is actually first, of course, the constitution of the modern biology. The birth of biology as a scientific discipline. Then this kind of hybrid here, the catastrophic disaster, so to speak 
It's a real disaster. Darwinism and biologism. And then maybe new self-definition of the subject and the development of the postmodern consciousness. <clears throat> yeah, as I said, Dobshansky and Meyer were maybe the most important scientists who put together, yeah, let's say Darwin and Mendel. Yeah? And uh, this is an important citation that he gave, Ernst Meyer. Biology is a science like physics and chemistry, and yet it is different in many respects from these so-called exact sciences. Their special status is due to the fact that living beings are distinguished by a double causality. Yeah. After this, it has been disputed for <laughs> very, very hard for a long, long time. Yeah. But this is uh, Ernst Meyer by a double causality on the one hand, the laws of physics hold true. However, the peculiarities of living beings, such as evolution and adaptation, must include an explanation by an historical analysis, necessarily. So by this, uniquely, biology links nature sciences to humanities, so that it plays a key role also for Philosophy. Yeah. This is uh, Ernst Meyer. Maybe we skip this. And uh, here we have this synthetic theory of evolution, as I said, putting Mendel and Darwin together. Yeah. And uh, it is called, actually, in the 13th of the 20th century, the synthetic theory of evolution, uh, which is actually then the birth of biology, as I said. Yeah merged the hitherto separated advanced approaches in the fields of genetics and evolutionary research. This STE was developed by Dobshansky and Meyer. Today, these, the, the main thesis of the general approach, I think, is undisputed, maybe except in several circles uh, in, the, in, in U.S. churches, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, accordingly, evolutionary factors are mechanisms of generation, secular selection, and stabilization of variants, generation of variants by mutation and recombination, selection of variants by genetic drift and selection, and stabilization of variants by isolation. Yeah. The result? of the more or less long-term process is adaptation of the organism in its phenotype type to the environment. Thus, adaptations are properties of organisms that have evolved through natural selection in long times. So, by this we have actually the constitution of biology as a scientific discipline, full scientific discipline. Uh, yeah, Meyer stated that biological objects are partly independent from physical or chemical laws in nature, also in the course of time, of course, massively disputed. Um, but it is Meyer, yeah, because properties of species do not evolve to general laws, but rather from singular historical events, 
sometimes, so to speak, by chance. Yeah. Thus, in biology, you are dealing rather with conceptions than with laws. In this sense, there are autonomous phenomena in biology. And so, we can conclude with Maya, biology is a science of the historical reconstruction. There are consequences for the field of humanities. Uh, now we uh, focus on these disastrous catastrophes, but it is actually an outcome of this. We have to face it very clearly. Darwinism is based on the assumption of natural selection. As we can see, Darwin's doctrine of evolution was repeatedly extended beyond his original scope with these well-known disastrous consequences uh, in Nazi Germany, for instance. Here, culture Darwinism. The development of human cultures is explained with the principle of selection and the struggle for existence, and this is in order to explain higher developed levels in human societies and the necessity of war. This is a disaster, also this one, social Darwinism, the biological determinism is taken to describe the development of human societies. Yeah, popularizations and vulgarizations of evolutionary concepts also led to hybrids in different verities. Yeah. Biologism is a form of a social Darwinism. It is actually assumed that the struggle for existence, claimed by Darwin exclusively, determines the internal structure of human communities. So war of all against all and also relation to other communities, war among communities. And uh, this kind of biologism, of course, is often very widespread um, in racist ideologies. Yeah. Now we have a revolution in anthropology, of course. Yeah, Darwin's approach on evolution leads necessarily this kind of uh, revolution in anthropology with the development of uh, uh, evolutionary biology, Darwin showed that this Homo sapiens has the same basic properties in common with all other living beings. Yeah. And Amoba, from this point of view, is much more similar to a human being than an Amoba to a stone. Yeah. Man is therefore scientifically, biologically, so to speak, not the result of a special divine act of creation. Yeah, yeah psychological approaches of uh, many different authors and many different uh, philosophers lead to the modern philosophical anthropology and some kind of empirical anthropology uh, and subsequently to various different um, direction. For example, in uh, philosophy, the evolutionary uh, epistemology, which I address briefly on. Yeah, after the development of the univer universal basic idea of life, 
it must be assumed that empirical findings in the field of biology is, of course, applicable to human beings as well, in the same way. The human being, by this, was deprived of his prominence. And people suffered on this. They suffered. And this leads to an emotional branding. An emotional branding, all results of biological research, of course, directly affects now human beings themselves without any mediation of philosophy or theology as it was in former times. The secularization has reached, so to speak, the final stage. And the consequence was that subsequently humans try to fi always find properties that animals do not have in common. Yeah, they want it to be something special. Yeah, it makes it special to animals. Yeah. Differentiation. Yeah. And there are different ideas in the course of time. Yeah. I list here some. Yeah. Humans are the only, it's the only species with self-consciousness, for instance. Historical consciousness, given evidence by dolphins, and self-consciousness by raven. Actually, ravens have self, so this cannot be taken. And use of tools. Well, many animals use tools. Yeah. Mind. Do animals have mind or reason? Mm. Or judgment. Understanding mathematics. I read that apes could count. Okay, maybe they, can, they also can do other things. I don't know. So. Warlike behavior. Warlike behavior. The last that I heard and came to my consciousness is that it was said human beings are the only species who commit or who can commit genocide. Before they found uh, some chimp chimpanzees in, in, in uh, Uganda, I think it was in Uganda, uh, who did it as well. So, it remains to be uh, a little bit emotionally branding. Good. Yeah, consequences in theology. Development lead, of course, to significant change in the spiritual world in terms of perspective of the place of man, of human in the world. In the field, of course, of theology, new challenges, new challenges and perspectives occur, new problems and new opportunities some conflicts, of course, occurred. Yeah, during the Middle Ages, the preceding secularization process was assessed to be degrading for mankind. They felt, uh, they felt sad on that. And actually, the people felt degraded, seriously degraded and sad, as I said. And so they were often skeptical, generally, um, uh, uh, about uh, innovations. However, on the other hand, scientists must be aware it is actually, as Goethe, Schleiermacher, and many others said, religion, 
is a matter of fact. And we have to be aware that it is, also as scientists, we have to be aware that religion is a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah the consciousness of the postmodern human individual is broken in some way, as today, a postmodern society, we cannot bridge two needs that we have as human beings. Yeah. Two needs. We have some kind of need for sanctity and spirituality. And the longing for an overall orientation beyond the visible world, yeah, on the other hand. And we cannot bridge it today in the postmodern society with the secular rationality as well as the knowledge based on purely secular science. And often people react, modern, nowadays living people, react to the individual self-constitution as they think best, without actually a strict orientation to certain authorities, as it was for decades after the Middle Ages here in, in Europe as well. And according to many Social scientists, for instance, Arnold Gehlen, and also philosophers, Martin Heidegger or Jean-Paul Sartre, there is a characteristic reaction on this effect that we cannot bridge these two different lines, and this is fear. Many people react with a general fear on that. Okay, this is evolutionary epistemology. One new concept, yeah, it is assumed that the cognitive apparatus is a real result of the evolutionary development. So the faculty of getting knowledge is an adaptation to a hypothesized real world, according to Vollmer. Yeah. Yeah, this is the basic book. So that survival of the Homo sapiens was possible and uh, this Gerd Former was tricky. Yeah? The hypothetical realism that he, uh, that he has shifts both the Kantian pure concepts of intuition, which is space and time, and the pure concepts of understanding out of a uh, a priori status of transcendality, that is before knowledge, into the empirical sphere. These concepts are phylogenetically acquired by our mind. And by this, the evolutionary development of the sensory organs, the function of brain, and the genesis of linguistic and cultural characteristics are essentially important. Summary. Now in the audience. Ah, we are coming to an end, right? Huh? Oh, I'm in time. So, don't complain, I'm in time. She said in advance, one hour. You said one hour. You suggested one hour. Summary. Okay, we can summarize the foundation of scientific conceptions of the general evolutionary development of our life by Darwin marked actually a tuning point in the scientific worldview, both in humanities and in the field of sciences.
explication of a general theory of evolution was possible within a certain intellectual and scientific climate that is an output of the age of enlightenment and characterized, and this is important, by the complete separation of, re of religion and science, the suppression of the Platonic idea and the Aristotelian uh, final cause in favor of a new concept of progress and a new concept of teleology. Maybe we may add some things. So that causality and by this observation, experiment and experience gain a special role in scientific research. So, after merging uh, Darwin's approach with genetics, the synthetic theory of evolution was developed. By this uniform principle, basic principles of life become clear, and based on this knowledge, modern biology as a scientific discipline could establish, which also includes humanistic aspects. Yeah, since man is part of the animage, results of biological research always concern the people themselves. Hence, there is no special concernment. Here we have some thesis for discussion. Biology must remain to be at least partly ideographic oriented. Yeah, maybe disputed. This means that the objectives of scientific research must focus on the explanation of a singular individuality. Why is a unit as it is? Why is a certain process as it is? Yeah, the biological objects have a high degree of individuality. Beyond the complete generalization, a historical perspective, from my point of view, is necessary. A causal approach is necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah, the philosophical discussion beyond the purely scientific approach is therefore sometimes evident. Uh, we can, of course, ask the question again. Life can sufficiently explain in terms of its chemical and physical properties, question mark. Yeah, teleology is a useful and, as I said, from my point of view, a necessary tool for setting up hypotheses and for setting up a historical perspective. The theological point of view always remains to be, as I tried to explain, an as-if assessment. Good. Uh, these are the references. I think most of these um, references are also available uh, in English. Um, and of course, these classics um, also on the internet. Yeah? You can find it on the internet. And um, then here we have some uh, special references uh, in this list that I referred to um, basically. Yeah, in the end, we see there is also another direction. As I said, in some uh, churches, maybe in central US, yeah. uh, you know this uh, famous in principio, creavit Deus Calum et Terram, Nova Vulgata, Genesis 1 1. Yeah, the Bible, yeah, first sentence of the Bible. And here we have a translation in English, yeah, the in principio means at the very beginning. That is, originally, principally, according to the axiom 
of the basic principle. When we have Theos, uh, God has created, that is, uh, so to speak, made, fabricated, or generated, yeah? Kelum and et teram, that is heaven and earth, and this everything. So the German, im principio, also am Anfang, am Anfang, oder auch zuallererst, im Prinzip, dem Grundsatze nach, Deus Kelum et teram, hat Gott Himmel und Erde, also im Grunde genommen alles, wird geschaffen, erschaffen oder erzeugt. Thank you for your attention. Applaus